Welcome to the John Nuzzo Leadership Podcast. Welcome to this month's podcast. We are uh, in part two of talking to you about the book Hero Maker, The Five Essential Practices for Leaders to Multiply Leaders by Dave Ferguson and Warren Bird. Uh, if you didn't listen to last month's podcast, please go back and listen to it first. You really need to before you hear this second one. I'm going to take you into the five practices of a person who is a hero maker. Now, last month we went through the first two, and and the, and they were the first one is multiplication thinking. That's being a hero maker. It's changing the dream from wearing the cape to tying the cape on a leader, and one that ideally has even grown up under your leadership. Practice number two was being a permission giver. Permission giving is when you shift from seeing what God can do through your own leadership to seeing what God can do through the leadership of others. Now, I want to get right into the final three practices. Now, there's so much more in the book, and, and I have so many notes in the, on the book that I just didn't know where to begin and where to end. But I just want to talk to you maybe about some of the things that have been birthed in me and been consummated in me by reading the book. As I told you last month, I've been on a journey of pastoral ministry now for over 25 years, in ministry for over 35. And when I look at my ministry, I'm going to tell you the same thing I heard Jim Graff say. Jim Graff is the founder of Significant Church Network. Jim gave me the book Hero Makers, and he handed it to me, and here's what he said to me. He said, John, more than any other book in my life, I wish I had read this book 25 years ago. And I have to tell you, Jim Graff is not a person that just throws words out. And I thought, that's an amazing thing to have someone say. And when I read the book, I, I echo the sentiment. I would give anything the day we were starting this church to have read this book. Oh, the difference I could have made in, in multiplying the kingdom of God sooner. And But listen, just like me, you make mistakes. You grow and you develop. I want to encourage you. Please don't beat yourself up for what you've not done perfectly or well or where you need to get better, or you see a glaring a blind spot that you have to overcome. We're human beings. We're flawed. Only God's grace is what makes us stand anyway. And I have to tell you, sometimes it's very hard personally to, to exercise the humility to look at your life with integrity and honesty and say, my God, where were my eyes? How could they be so closed? And, and it can drag you down. But choose not to do that. Choose not to exalt those feelings above the grace in your life. And just be mindful. Then make the changes when you see them. And more importantly than me making them, I want to help other people to not fall in these potholes that are avoidable. Look, there's enough trouble as a leader that's going to come your way that you have absolutely no control over, and you're going to have to fight through those battles. My longing, and when I say longing, it's probably maybe more than any one thing in my life it's a desperation to see you miss the potholes that you can miss, to help you to avoid some of the pitfalls that can be avoided. Those can save you a year of your life. They can save you a decade of your life. They can save a relationship. They can save a marriage. And that's my longing. And so please understand the heart from which I come to this subject. And so the third practice is disciple multiplying. And he talks about four principles of generational disciple multiplying. Here's what he means by generational. He talks about the, a process of multiplying disciples that is four generations deep. 
And he takes us to 2 Timothy, where Paul writes to Timothy, and he said, the things you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So he shows you in this verse, the four generations of multiplying disciples. Of course, the first was Jesus to Paul, and then Paul to Timothy, then Timothy to reliable people. Now say that out loud, reliable people. What does that mean? People who have capacity, people in whom you have identified grace. And then the fourth is those reliable people now to other people that are reliable. This is the difference between impact and exponential impact. This is how hero making can become the part of the culture of your life and the church or the ministry or the organization that you lead. Church culture, organizational church culture comes out of personal culture, the things that I've personally committed to. You know, if you were to look at my life when I was in my 30s and starting Victory, the deficits would have been so overwhelming that if you were to look at that critically, I can promise you one thing. You would have said it's impossible that that couple will ever fulfill their mission. But what I realized in looking back is that God takes us all on a journey. But sometimes that journey gets stuck. We're, we're so busy developing ourselves that we fail to realize that there's an ongoing commitment that we must make to multiplying disciples, multiplying capacity people that can lead others. And so here's, here, just very quickly, he named four things that we could commit to if we want to be a multiplier of disciples and doing it generationally. And, and now remember this. He says this as well. He said, you really haven't completed being a multiplier until you've gone to the fourth generation, until what Jesus has done for you, you have done and led and mentored another through. And that person has done and led another through. And then that person is, has led another through. By the way, these are not options in the scripture. These are not just suggestions. These are commands. And isn't it amazing that how easily we can walk away from biblical process, biblical commands, biblical strategies that will enhance and build the kingdom. A hero maker is when you look not to yourself and what Jesus has done for you, or not even to the next one beside you, or not even to the next one that they deal with, but the next one. Four generations, and then that person, four generations. It's an, it's an exponential form of leadership that is not difficult if we commit to it, if we truly narrow down what we focus on. And here's, what he, here's one of the keys. He said, disciple multipliers select the few and not the many. We have to disciple, disciple multipliers. He likes to say it this way, serial disciplers. As a senior leader, he said, you've got to select the few, not the many. And Jesus said in Mark 3.13, he went up on the mountainside and called to him. Now listen to this statement, those he wanted, and they came to him. Jesus selected few to reach many. And so it's very important that you have to be intentional. Listen to this word, please. If there's anything I could go back and tell myself 15, 20, 30 years ago, John, be intentional. Be intentional. Have the, as we talked about last month, the I see in you conversations with people with potential and capacity. Look them in the eyes and say, I see in you this potential and pour your life into them. 
It's so critically important. But it's not getting 300 people around you or even 50 or even 70 or sometimes not even 12. Sometimes it starts with one, two, or three. But if you'll select the one that God has put capacity within to lead others, you will step into the realm of being a multiplier. The second one is this. Disciple multipliers prioritize relationships and not curriculum or just information. In John 3.22, the scripture said that Jesus went out with his disciples into the Judean uh, countryside. And listen, and he spent time with them and baptized. I've read that scripture over and over again. And in, this, in the book Hero Makers, they, he pulls out, he spent time with them. And that's the Greek word diatribo. And dia meaning against, tribo to rub. In our vernacular today, we would say it this way, to rub against. We would say it to rub off on. Jesus rubbed off on them. One of the things that came out of my background spiritually is I, was, I came to Christ and was trained in ministry in a teaching revival. And so information became the resource to me, not relationship. And so starting in ministry, there were very, very rare opportunities to have impactful relationships where I could be mentored. I didn't even know that the opportunities existed. And as a result, I developed those bad habits. But one of the things a disciple maker does is they prioritize the relationship over the information. And Jesus, not that he didn't constantly teach, but he always had the, the time with them in which they were able to rub off. He rubbed off on them. So he enabled them to observe and to learn and then to do. And that's what Jesus is asking us to do. So if you're going to be a multiplier, you can't spend time with everybody. But like Jesus, you've got to invest in the few and rub off on them. And by the way, this is really important when it comes to humility. Be honest when you mentor people. Don't let them think your flaws are justifiable. If you have an anger issue and you're short-tempered, don't let them think that's appropriate for someone in leadership. Tell them, this is my struggle. Don't follow this. See, when I, see how I raised my voice there? Don't do that. I'm trying to deal with that. Be honest. Please, please, please be honest when you mentor people. The third thing he said, principle, if you're going to be a disciple multiplier, listen to this one. Disciple makers focus on sending capacity over seeding capacity. It said in, in, in Mark 3 that when Jesus went to the mountainside and he called those he wanted, he appointed 12 and designated them as apostles. He actually designated them in the word, the meaning, people I'm going to send forth. It's so easy in our world today, and there's nothing wrong with counting. There's nothing wrong with measuring. There's nothing wrong with having a vision uh, in your local church or whatever ministry or group or whatever you're called to lead. There's nothing wrong with growing it and counting. You count because people matter. That's why you count them. Jesus said, leave the 99 and go to the one. Well, there's no way you know one's missing unless you're counting. So there's nothing wrong with counting. But the focus is on sending them rather than counting them. The goal of Jesus, three-year, if you will, apprenticeship, was, was not that his team would go immediately multiply but that he would send them out. Everything he did was a sending event. It culminated when he gave him the final commission, the great commission, and then he left. And, and we know the story in the book of Acts. They ended up kind of huddled in Jerusalem 
But when the great persecution came in Acts chapter 8, they were dispersed. And they went throughout the world preaching the gospel. See, here's the deal. The goal of Jesus was to send them with a mission, with a message, and with divine capacity to fulfill what he called them to do. And then he wanted them to do with others what he had done for and with them. He wanted them to begin to develop people. You find that happening in Acts 6 when the apostles were actually doing the work of ministry that was inappropriate for them. It's not that the work was unimportant, but they actually said it was wrong. It was wrong for them to do the ministry they were doing. They were solving the problem of the distribution of food with the widows. And Peter said, this is wrong. We're leaving our grace to do this ministry. And they appointed these other men who had qualifications. They laid hands on them and released authority to them. And and we know that the church multiplied from that point forward. And we also know that two of the people in that list We don't know the rest of the story of the others, but two of them ended up being taken into another form of ministry. Stephen being the first martyr of the church, preaching the gospel, giving his life for the gospel, and Philip, whom the Bible is our only example of an evangelist. But they were given the opportunity, listen, to lead. They were given the opportunity to serve. They took ownership of something, and they were given authority, and the disciples walked away from it. The apostles walked away from it. And in that development of solving that issue and managing that issue that would seemingly be not a massively important thing in the scope of the dynamic of a church, but in that obedience, the grace in their life began to develop and they stepped into different realms and that's what it resulted in. So remember the four principles. Disciple multipliers select the few, not the many. Disciple multipliers prioritize relationships, not curriculum. Disciple makers, number three, focus on sending capacity over seating capacity. And number four, disciple makers hand off authority rather than hold on to it. Remember, Jesus, in what we just read, he gave them authority to cast out demons. We have to make crystal clear what does authority look like under us? And what are people specifically empowered to do? Now, listen to this, without my knowledge or my approval. Authority without the ability to choose is not authority. We have to define when we give someone authority, when the apostles gave authority to those in in Acts chapter 6, they gave them responsibility. They gave them the ability to choose. All authority has limits. My authority has limits. My authority in my home has limits. My authority as a pastor has limits. The authority that God has endowed me with as a believer has limits. Limits to what's been delegated to me. But here's the key. If we are not going to delegate authority, we're only going to delegate tasks. Now, there's nothing wrong with getting tasks done. But task doers are not multipliers. There's nothing wrong with that grace and that calling. But as a multiplier, you have to choose. I mean, intentionally choose and go after those who have capacity to multiply. Every lead volunteer in your church must become a disciple multiplier. He makes the statement, and I wholeheartedly agree with it. For every one person who is called to vocational ministry, or set aside to be paid, if you will, to do ministry. 
There should be 50 to 100 lay people being brought into the mindset of an apprentice or as a, the mindset of a leadership development context. And let me give you this example. Uh, we do small groups here at Victory, and I wish I'll, I'll, we'll do a podcast on small groups because, boy, I blew that up in the early days, but that's another podcast. So we wanted to do something called Freedom Groups. Back then they were called Life, but it's basically a 13-week curriculum that helped people get free in their life to deal, get past their past, and it's a wonderful curriculum. And it culminates in a retreat on a Friday night and a Saturday. It's one of the most powerful things we've ever done. But instead of trying to get everybody to do one, we did them only with leaders first. So we trained people to go through the curriculum who were going to then lead groups. And as a result of training leaders who trained leaders, we've had now over 2,500 people at Victory go through freedom and culminate going through the retreat. The only way that happened was because we multiplied the leaders. We count sometimes the wrong way. If we're not careful, we count the bottom number, which is the total number. But that's not, that's the outcome of counting the right number. And the right number is releasing people to actually lead, to have ownership and to be able to develop others. And the last, the, the, the practice that I want to get to now, the, the last two, is practice four is gift activating. It's a shift from asking God to bless the use of my own gifts to asking God to bless the leaders that I'm sending out. People are not called to fill slots, but they should be trained and commissioned to either be empowered for the ministry within the local church, where they're given authority and ownership and leadership, or to be sent out totally for ministry. We, we can't just train workers. We have to train serial disciplers. We can't just, in our case, plant churches, as we're called to do at Victory. But we have to plant churches that will reproduce other churches. We can't just revitalize a church that is struggling or gone backwards or perhaps dying or even dead. But we sh if we're going to do that effort, it has to be a church that we revitalized that will reproduce itself. Activating the gifts of multiplication in others. Assuming the concept that if we do not multiply what we are doing, we are failing. Counting the numbers in my own church is even if we meet all of our goals, the more and more I understand the concept of the kingdom of God and I'm learning, it's, it, it's not enough. It really would be considered from the broad picture uh, 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 not fully succeeding because I'm not empowering others outside of the walls of our church. Practice five is kingdom building. A kingdom builder is not what you do. It's who you are. Everybody's called to be a kingdom builder. And it's the same with being a hero maker. It's not something you do. It becomes who you are. It becomes part and parcel of your heartbeat, if you will. We have to shift from counting the people that show up at my thing to counting the leaders that go out and do God's thing. The focus is not on who's coming to our thing, but rather who is doing God's thing beyond the scope of my life and my influence. It's from counting how many you're seating to how many you're sending. I love that statement. The church scoreboard is so much more than counting people. But, but it's also, it's not like acting that people don't count. But it's learning to live within that tension. Guys, I got to tell you this. There is a constant tension of, of, of training and developing leaders. And then they go and they do something. And now you seem to have a leadership deficit. 
And if you're not careful, you'll make a statement like this. God, all of my leaders are gone. And it, nothing could be more of a more ungodly and deceptive statement. They are not mine. Slavery is outlawed. I don't own anybody. They are God's leaders. And the more of them I see leave and go do great things for God and serve others that are doing great things for God, the more I realize that I'm being a kingdom builder and not just building the kingdom of this church. Now, please understand, this is not diminishing my passion to grow Victory Family Church. I have passion in my heart. We are moving toward next generation leadership within the context of the church, and I see this church exploding with growth. That is in my heart and in my soul, and it is immovable in me. But one is not exclusive to the other. This shift simply requires a completely different calculus that measures leaders in training than leaders that are developing other leaders, measuring leaders that have been released to go do ministry outside of your, of your, of your environment that are actually doing the process over and over again. I'm going to finish it by this statement. I love this statement. My fruit grows on other people's trees. That statement is, wow, let that sink into your soul as we close this today. See, when you count in this manner, it redefines a win in the kingdom metric. I think of my good friend, Larry Betancourt, and Larry has a great church, and please don't misinterpret this, but Larry's church isn't a mega church. But let me tell you something about Larry and Kim Betancourt. The greatest fruit they've ever borne in their life is growing on another person's tree. And they're doing things that are incredible. Now, I know they have a passion to grow their church, and they are growing their church. But if you ask me today, Nuzo, if you could pick between giving your life and seeing fruit only grow on the trees of others or have fruit have grown through your own efforts, it wouldn't even be a question today. I would walk away from this in a heartbeat if I had to choose because the other is exponential. My hope is that in these two podcasts that maybe it's awoken some things in you like it has for me. Whether you're an older leader that needs to see your life in a different context or maybe a younger leader, that you won't have to say what I said. I wish I'd have gotten this 25 years ago. I, I just encourage you, please get the book Hero Maker. Five Essential Practices for Leaders to Multiply Leaders by Dave Ferguson and Warren Bird. It's an incredible book, an incredible read, but don't just read it. Study it, implement it. Let me pray for you as I pray for the kingdom of God to multiply through you. Father, I pray for every person listening to this podcast that we would be multipliers in the kingdom. And Lord, that our fruit would grow exponentially on other people's trees. Amen. Thanks for listening. Look forward to talking to you next month. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Your reviews expand our reach. So if you enjoy listening to this podcast, please take time to rate and review us. We look forward to having you with us on the next episode of the John Muzo Leadership Podcast.